Chapter Four of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. I was now eighteen, slim, tall, and vigorous, inheriting some portion of both my father's and of my mother's personal beauty, and superadding all those graces which are peculiarly the property of youth, the flowers which partial nature bestows upon the spring of life and which are rarely compensated by the fruits of manhood's summer. I know not why I should refrain from saying I was handsome. Long before any one reads these lines, that which was so, will be dust and ashes, a thing that creatures composed of the same sort of material, cemented by the same fragile medium of life, will turn from, with insect disgust. With this consciousness before me, I will venture, then, to say that I was handsome, if ever I was personally vain, such a folly is amongst those that have left me. However, with some good looks, and some knowledge that I did possess them, it is not very wonderful that I should try to set them off to the best advantage on my return home after a long absence. There might have been a native puppyism in the business. There might be, also, some thought of looking well in the eyes of Helen Arnaud, for even at that early age I had begun to think about her a great deal more than was necessary, and to pamper my imagination with a thousand fine romances, which need the lustrous air, the glowing skies, the magnificent scenes of the romance-breathing Pyrenees, to make them at all comprehensible. Certain it is that I did think of Helen Arnaud very often, but never was her idea more strongly in my mind than on that morning when I was awakened for the purpose of bidding adieu to my college studies, and of returning once more to my home, and my parents, and the scenes of my infancy. I am afraid that amongst all the expectations which crowded upon my imagination, the thought of Helen Arnaud was most prominent. At five o'clock precisely, old Hussein, who had been trumpeter to my grandfather's regiment of royalists in the wars of the league and was now promoted to the high and dignified station of my valet de chambre and gouverneur stood at my bedside and told me that our horses were saddled our baggage packed up and that i had nothing to do but to dress myself mount and set out he was somewhat astonished i believe at seeing me lie for some ten minutes after he had drawn the curtains in the midst of meditations which to him seemed very simple meditations indeed but which were in fact so complicated of thoughts and feelings and hopes and wishes and remembrances that i defy any mortal being to have disentangled the gordian knot into which i had twisted them after trying some time in vain i took the method of that great macedonian baby who found the world too small a plaything and by jumping up I cut the knot with all its involutions asunder. But my father proceedings greatly increased good master Hussey's astonishment, for instead of contenting myself with my student's dress of simple black, with a low collar devoid of lace, which he judged would suit a dusty road better than any other suit I had, I insisted on his again opening the valise and taking out my very best slashed forepoint, my lace collar, my white buskins, and my gilt spurs. Then, having dressed myself en cavalier parfait, drawn the long curls of my dark hair over my forehead, and tossed on my feathered hat, instead of the prim-looking conceit 
with which I had covered my head at college, I rushed down the interminable staircase into the courtyard, with a sudden burst of youthful extravagance, and, springing on my horse, left poor Houssay to follow as best he might. Away I went, out of Pau, like a young colt when first freed from the restraint of the stable, and turned out to grass in the joy-inspiring fields. Over hill and dale and rough and smooth I spurred on, with very little regard to my horse's wind, till I came to the rising ground which presents itself just before crossing the river to reach Estelle. The first object on the height is the Chateau of Guarès, in which Henry the Fourth passed the earlier years of his youth, and wherein he received that education which gave to the world one of the most noble and generous-hearted of its kings. I had seen it often before, and I know not what chain of association established itself between my own feelings at the time and the memories that hovered round its old grey walls, but I drew in my horse's bridle on the verge and gazed upon the building before me, as if interrogating it of greatness and of fame and of the world's applause. There was, however, a chill and a sternness about all that it replied, which fell coldly upon the warm wishes of youth. It spoke of glory indeed, and of honour, and the immortality of a mighty name, but it spoke also of the dead, of those who could not hear, who could not enjoy the cheerless recompense of posthumous renown. It told, too, of fortune's fickleness, of a world's ingratitude, of the vanity of greatness, and the emptiness of hope. With a tightened bridle and slow pace, I pursued my way to Estelle, and, dismounting in the yard of the post-house, I desired the saddle to be taken off my horse, which was wearied with my inconsiderate galloping up and down hill and to be then placed on the best beast which was disengaged in the stable. While this was in execution, I walked into the kitchen with some degree of sulkiness of mood, at not being able to press out some brighter encouragement from a place so full of great memories as the chateau of Henri Quatre, and laying my hat on the table, I amused myself for some time with twisting the straws upon the floor into various shapes with the point of my sword and then returned to the court to see if I had been obeyed. The saddle, it is true, had been placed upon the fresh horse, but just as this was finished, a gentleman rode into the yard with four or five servants, smooth-faced, pink and white lackeys, with that look of swaggering tiptoe insolence which bespeaks, in general, either a weak or an uncourteous lord. Seeing my saddle on a horse that suited his whim, the stranger, without ceremony, ordered the hostler to take it off instantly, and prepare the beast for his use. He was a tall, elegant man of about forty, with an air of most insufferable pride, which, though ever but tinsel quality at the best, shone like gold in the master when compared with the genuine brass of his servants, who, with their lord dismounted, treated the hostler with the sweet and delectable epithets of villain hog, slave, and ass, for simply setting forth that the horse was pre-engaged. There have been many moments in my life, whether either laziness or good humour or carelessness, would have prevented me from opposing this sort of infraction of my prior right. But on the present occasion I was not in a humour to yield one step to anybody. 
without seeking my hat therefore i walked up to the cavalier who still stood in the court and informed him that the saddle must not be removed for that i had engaged the horse without turning round he looked at me for a moment over his shoulder and seeing a face fringed by no martial beard yet insolent enough to contradict his will he bestowed a buffet upon it with the back of his hand which deluged my fine lace collar in blood from my nose the soul of lord de bigot my ancestress who contended for her birthright with a king rose in my bosom at the affront and drawing my sword without a moment's hesitation i lunged straight at his heart the dazzling of my eyes from the blow he had given me just gave him time to draw and parry my thrust or that instant he had lain a dead man at my feet the scorn with which he treated me at first now turned to rage at the boldness of my attack and the moment he had parried he pressed me hard in return thinking doubtless soon to master the sword of an inexperienced boy a severe wound in his sword-arm was the first thing that showed him his mistake and in an instant after in making a furious lunge his foot slipped and he fell his weapon at the same time flying out of his hand in another direction while his thunderstruck lackey stood gaping with open mouths and bloodless cheeks turned into statues by a magical mixture of fright and astonishment i am ashamed to say that anger overpowered my better feelings and i was about to wash out the indignity he had offered me in his blood when i heard someone opposite exclaim ha in an accent both of surprise and reproach i looked up and immediately my eyes encountered those of chevalier de montenero standing in the yard with his arms crossed upon his bosom regarding us intently i understood the meaning of his exclamation at once and dropping the point of my weapon i turned to my adversary saying rise sir and take up your sword he rose slowly and sullenly and while his servants pressed round to aid him returned his blade into its scabbard bending his brows upon me with a very sinister frown we shall meet again young sir said he with a meaning nod we shall meet again where i have better space to chastise your insolence i dare say we shall meet again answered i what may come then god knows and i turned upon my heel towards the chevalier who embraced me affectionately whispering at the same time wash the blood from your face and mount as quickly as you can your adversary is not a man who may be offended with impunity i did as he bade me and we rode out of the court together taking our way onward towards lourdes as we went the chevalier threw back his hat from his face and with one of those beaming smiles that sometimes lighted up his whole countenance bestowed the highest praises on my conduct believe me my dear louis said he such is the way to pass tranquilly through life for with courage and skill and moderation such as you have shown to-day bad men will be afraid to be your enemies and good men will be proud to be your friends he then informed me that my opponent was the famous marquis de saint brie who had been strongly suspected in two instances of having used somewhat foul means to rid himself of a successful rival he prevailed on the chevalier de valencay to sup with him proceeded the chevalier the supper was good the wine excellent the marquis fascinating and poor de valencay returned home believing that he had lost an enemy and gained a friend 
ere he had been half an hour in bed he called his valet in great agony and before morning he had lost all his enemies together and gone to join his friends in heaven the physician shook his head but after having had an hour's conversation with the marquis he became quite convinced that the poor youth had died from an inflammation the other is not so distinct a tale continued the chevalier or i have not heard it so completely but from this man's general character i have no doubt of his criminality he some years ago proposed to marry the beautiful henriette de verne and offered himself to her father the old man examined his rents and finding that he had three hundred thousand livres per annum he felt instantly convinced the marquise de saint brie was the most noble-minded honourable sweet-tempered and amiable man in the world and possessed all these qualities in exactly the proportion of three to one more than the count de bagnole to whom he had before promised his daughter and who had but one hundred thousand livres per annum his calculation was soon made and sending for the young count he informed him that he was not near so good a man as the marquis de saint brie and gave him his reasons for thinking so at the same time breaking formally his former engagement de bagnole instantly sent his cartel to the marquis de saint brie who accepted it but named a distant day before that day arrived the young count was accused of aiding the huguenots at rochelle and was arrested but he contrived to escape and transfer great part of his property to spain now comes the more obscure part of the tale the marriage of the marquis with mademoiselle de verne approached and great preparations were made at her father's chateau but a man was seen lurking about the park who many of the servants recognised at the count de bagnole they were wise however and said nothing though it was generally rumoured amongst them that the count had been privately married to their young lady some weeks before his arrest the night however on which monsieur de saint brie arrived and which was to precede his marriage by one week an uneasy conscience having rendered him restless he by chance beheld a man descend from the window of mademoiselle de verne's apartment he gave the alarm and with much fury declared he had been cheated deceived betrayed and it then appeared they say that the fair henriette had really married her lover he was now however an exile and a wanderer and her father declared he would have the marriage annulled if the marquis de saint brie would but do him the honour to stay and wed his daughter the marquis however sternly refused and that very night departed and took up his lodging in the village hard by the count de bagnole was never heard of more two mornings afterwards there was found in the park of monsieur de verne a broken sword near the spot where it was supposed the lover used to leap the wall the ground round about was dented with the struggling of many feet dyed and dabbled with gore part of a torn cloak too was found and a long train of bloody drops from that place to the bank of the river a peasant also deposed to having seen two men fling a heavy burden into the stream at that spot he would not swear that it was a dead body but he thought it was and what became of mademoiselle de la verne demanded i the countess de bagnole said the chevalier for no doubt remained of her marriage removed or was removed i know not precisely which to a convent where she died about five or six months afterwards 
the chevalier ceased and we both fell into a deep silence the fate of the two lovers whose story he had just told was one well calculated to excite many of those feelings in my young heart which when really strong do not evaporate in words i could have wept for the fate of the two lovers and my heart burned like fire to think that such base wrongs should exist and exist unpunished all the sympathy i felt for them easily changed into indignation towards him whom i looked upon as the cause of the death of both and i regretted that i had not passed my sword through the heart of their murderer when he lay prostrate on the ground before me had i known cried i at length had i known but half an hour ago who was the man and what were his actions yon black-hearted assassin should have gone to another world to answer for the crimes he has committed in this you did wisely to refrain replied the chevalier with a tone of calmness that to my unrepressed heat smacked of apathetic frigidity viewed by an honourable mind my dear louis his very fall covered him with a shield more impenetrable than the sevenfold buckler of a telamon never regret an act of generosity however worthless the object if you act nobly to one that deserves nobly you confer a benefit on him and a benefit on yourself if he be undeserving still the very action does good to your own heart in the present instance had you slain that bad man you would probably have entailed ruin on yourself for ever allied as he is to all the most powerful of the land the direst vengeance would infallibly follow his fall from whatever hand it came and instant flight or certain death must have been your choice even as it is you have called upon yourself the hatred of a man who was never known to forgive when the first heat of his rage is past he may seem to forget the affront he has received but still it will be remembered and treasured up till occasion serves for wiping it out in the most remorseless manner at present i would certainly advise your father to take advantage of the temporary peace that exists with spain and send you into that land till the man you have offended has quitted this part of the country and it is possible you may never meet with him again if you do however beware of his anger believe me it is as imperishable as the fabled wrath of juno i am going to saragossa myself on business of importance and will willingly take all charge of you if you will join me there tell the count what has happened tell him what i say and bid him lose no time i would urge it upon him personally but the affairs that call me into spain admit of no delay End of chapter 4